0: Kubota. together we're shaping and building New Zealand. The eyes of the rugby world are on France. This is
1: Rugby World Cup Today with Surly on SENZ.
0: today here on SENZ for your Tuesday night, brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand and unfortunately the European dream is fast coming to an end for me. She's two days left before I start that long dreaded journey back to New Zealand and it's certainly sad to see it all wrap up but it's been an unreal four weeks and in the footy world you could just say that things are just beginning. Over the next few weeks the competition is really set to ramp up. Starting this weekend with the final round of pool games and a number of clashes that are set to play a key role in deciding who will feature in next week's quarterfinals. So on today's show, as always, we'll cast an eye of the latest news from around the grounds and look to bring you up to speed. Then we'll look forward to 7.30am Sunday morning for what is set to be, in my opinion, the game of the weekend, Scotland taking on the high-flying island 1 vs 5 in the world can't wait for that game. Then we'll be joined by Ross Carl, host of the Aotearoa Rugby Podcast to discuss the big matchups from week 5 and of course we'll have our Breakout River meets, Breakout Performance and the schedule of the upcoming games that you can listen to live of course only here on SENZ. As always we'd love to get your input throughout the show so don't be shy to give us a buzz on 0800 150 811 or text through to double eight double three. But for now, let's rip into the news and bring you up to speed on what has been going on in the last 24 hours. And the big story, of course, unfortunately, Samoan power winger Ben Lamb, he's been handed a three match ban for his red card during the Japanese game So he'll miss this game against England this weekend. And should they advance to the quarters, it's not looking likely, but he will also miss their knockout stage games. And it's fair to say, Lamb, he's probably pretty happy with that three week suspension. I think he pled guilty to the charge. It was a pretty nasty tackle. So no surprises there. Next up, and this surprised me, Rugby Australia chief executive Phil War. He insists they're committed to Eddie Jones, even though the Wallabies are set to exit the Rugby World Cup early. A quote from Phil: He said, "We're committed to Eddie. We'll go through the assessment of this campaign, but it's most important to actually look at the overall rest- structure of Australian rugby." He said that the campaign looks pretty disappointing but it's a pretty challenging world being a coach and he can understand that. We have to do an assessment of the campaign, but our intent is to continue on the path we're on. I think it's not so much around chopping and changing coaches, but actually around fixing the system. Then when asked if he's spoken to Eddie around his speculated interview with Japan, Phil War said, Eddie's made his commitments to me that he is committed and there is nothing more to say, so I've taken him on his word. I'm not going to go around speculating or trying to find out where conversations are occurring. Someone who is speculating, though, and certainly taking the mic, having a bit of fun, comedian Connor Murphy. Here's him impersonating Eddie Jones.
1: Eddie, a disastrous World Cup for Australian rugby. Would you agree? Well,
0: you don't know what you're talking about, mate. Now
1: this is exactly where I want us to be. Now we're giving us a chance, everybody riding us off. You know, tell us we're terrible and see what happens, mate. Well, you were terrible against Wales. Well, I actually thought we were amazing, mate. Tactically, I thought we got it spot on. Yeah, you know, I said, let Wales come on to you, mate. Let them have the ball. Lure them into a full set of security. And when they least expected, mate, pounce. But you but you didn't count. I said when they least expected, mate. You know, maybe not tonight, maybe not tomorrow, mate. When they least expected. You know, but I wouldn't expect you guys to understand it, because you don't know anything about rugby, mate. You know, well, you guys are so negative. I mean, where were you guys when we were top of that group? In June, July, and August, eh? Well, the only reason you were top of the group at that stage was because of alphabetical order. See, that's the kind of negativity I'm talking about, mate. Scumbags. And I would never be disrespectful towards Wales, mate. You know, I think what they've done tonight is an amazing achievement. For a little country that it is, with only three million people. I mean, is it even a real country, mate? Or is it just the arsehole of another country? There's a lot of people who want you sacked as Wallaby's head coach. Will you stay on it? Well, I'm actually getting hundreds of messages, mate. Will people begging me to stay? Like, if you don't know anything about rugby, don't talk to me.
0: Jeez, it's almost hard to separate the two, to be fair. He did a pretty good job, but of course, it's all fun and games. And when listening to Phil War talk, he does speak a bit of sense. Of course, the results have been incredibly disappointing, but half of that blame probably goes on Eddie, and then half of the fall of Australian rugby. So it's going to be interesting to watch them in that next World Cup cycle because, of course, they host the competition in 2027, so they need to be a big factor and speaking of big factors in this tournament, South African coach Jacques Nenemba, he was perplexed when asked about the prospect of match fixing between Ireland and Scotland. He was quizzed on the prospect of the two agreeing on a scoreline that would send South Africa home An Ocean the coach promptly shut down.
2: Could I believe in a scenario that they will decide, okay, we want to get this amount of points and then get South Africa out of the way?
1: That would probably be match-fixing, I would say. I hope not. Hmm. Uh, Rugby's clean. We we wear those T-shirts, so um, hopefully
2: not. Because that would be extremely disappointed, don't you think?
0: Would be pretty crazy, and I can't see a world where that happens. But sticking in Springbok's camp in centre, Lucano Ahn, he's been called in to replace the flying Mpimpi, who unfortunately suffered a fractured cheekbone against Tonga. He initially missed out on the World Cup selection due to a new knee injury. But coming into the squad after Mpimpi was named unavailable for the rest of the tournament. It was a huge collision against Tonga, and unfortunately that's seen him leave early.
3: Yeah, it's sad. It's, it's just sad that it's something like that, and uh, except, I don't know, was it wasn't an accident? Uh, you know, he's got a fractured eye socket and uh, blowout fracture, and the eye is swelled, and the cheekbone is, is, I think, fractured. So I think he's out for four to six weeks. And now we'll not just miss him as a brilliant rugby player. I mean, he's a fantastic rugby player, but uh, what he brings to the team is. is uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of heart, there's a lot of 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 honesty. It's a lot of doesn't say a lot but when he says something everybody listens, trains hard, uh communicates beautiful on the field whilst he's really quiet off the field, uh never moans if he's not selected and helps the young boys who get selected about him. So no no we uh, we will definitely if we get to the final fly him back uh, to join us here the same. Were with other guys that got injuries uh, that went back to South Africa, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's sad, but uh, that's a game of rugby. It's it's those those collisions happen.
0: That was Coach oh Head of rugby there, Rusty Erasmus, sorry, speaking on the impact of my pimpie. Next up, England stars, they've come out and said they would like to tour to Samoa ahead of their big clash against the Samoans this weekend. Jamie George, he believes that England could make history and really set the tone with a tour to Samoa and said if you look at the performances of some of the lower seeded sides, if you get the opportunity to go over there, then why wouldn't you? You could of course pair it up with a tour to Australia or New Zealand and it would be great to go grow the game over there. Those said sentiments were echoed by Mario Atoje, who said it'll be great to play the likes of Samoa if we can why not if it's possible that would be amazing Jamie George he actually spoke to media this week as well on facing his Saracens teammate Theo McFarland when they take on Samoa in that huge clash
4: yeah they're brutal at times they've got I think you know you look at the Samoa team sheet they've got world-class players in their team genuinely world-class players I'm lucky enough to play with one of them Saracens and Theo McFarland um, so, we've got a little bit of an insight into him, but um, yeah, look, it's, it's tough, it's tough up front. I think you look at this Samoan side, they're a, lot, they're a lot better drilled now than they have been previously. You know, the coaching staff have obviously done a brilliant job with them and, um, you know, especially in around the set piece, their scrum, their maul, we've seen in the previous pool games has been really, really strong and competitive. So, we know it's going to be pretty tough up front. Um, we also know that you know every good England team is built around a strong set piece, so we're excited about that challenge. But we're also aware that you know they've got some. Uh, it's going to be a really physical, brutal contest at times. Um, and I think that you know the nice thing for me, obviously, it's not that it won't be that nice on Saturday. But you know, I've been really proud of the way that the performances that he's been putting in um, because he's coming off the back of a big injury uh, last season. You know, he, he sort of skyrocketed, skyrocketed to success, and then a big setback but he's worked so hard to get back and I think he's a huge leader in that Samoa team and you know on the biggest stage on a worldwide stage he's showing everyone what he's about and um, he's back to his best and you know he's a player that we're gonna have to make sure we keep a big big eye on because he's like I say he's world class.
0: And then finally, someone who's not being ruled out of the World Cup with a facial injury is, of course, French star and arguably the best player in the world, Anton Dupont. And Images have appeared of him returning back to training for France, which no doubt has eased the minds of plenty of French rugby fans over here. Here's Jerry Thornley from the Off the Ball show speaking of the return of the French star to the training paddock. Is the sense in France now that it's nailed on that Dupont comes back and is ready and available for the quarterfinals? There's certainly less fretting. about. There's, his, there's a
2: definite
5: sense that he's going to somehow play, in the, whether it's the quarterfinal, most definitely the semifinals on. You do get that sense that they, they expect him to come back. They're not fretting about him as much. There's much more optimism just from people in the street. Anecdotally, you can just say they're all talking now. Whereas it was very deflated after his injury. For a few days. It was very like being in New Zealand in 2011 when Dan Carter got injured. Again, the best player in the world in a home World Cup, once in a lifetime chance and robbed cruelly from him. It it doesn't look as if Dupont, we've seen the last of Dupont this World Cup. And if that has come to pass, of course, if he can play on with some kind of facial protection from the quarterfinal onwards, it would be a massive boost to them.
0: So a bit of light at the end of the tunnel potentially there for French fans and you'd have to think without him in a quarterfinal matchup potentially against the South Africa then the French would really struggle but if he's able to lace up and wear that mask then they're every bit the char- the, the chance, sorry, especially in front of their home fans. Now time for your breakout performance brought to you by Breakout River Meats, 100% Australian meat and proudly supporting Rugby Union. And my breakout performance from the weekend actually goes to Ben Tamiafuna for his efforts against South Africa. The 32-year-old, he's a familiar face with all New Zealand fans. He became a bit of a cult figure and a fan favourite during his time at the Chiefs. He's a big body, he's hard to miss out on the paddock. Six foot two, 151 kilos. But his work in captaining this Tongan side has been exceptional. And his play over the last two games in particular has been world class he scored two tries against scotland and against south africa that alone is worthy of the breakout performance award and something tells me he'd also love to get his hand on some breakout river meets as well so credit to them proud supporters of local and independent butchers and the rugby world cup time to cut to some ads now and then we'll be back with a look ahead to this weekend's big game ireland versus scotland can't wait for that one You're listening to Rugby World Cup Today with Surly on SENZ. That's right, welcome back to Rugby World Cup today. I'm Surly, live from France, and this show, of course, is brought to you by Kubota, shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. We're going to look ahead now to a massive Pool B clash between Ireland and Scotland with playoff ramifications for three teams riding on this game. And as you've just heard, South Africa, they'll be sitting back nervously watching this one and no doubt cheering passionately for the Irish as well because their place in this competition relies heavily on their shoulders. So here's how the playoff picture works for the three teams involved. Scotland must beat Ireland and deny the Irish of a bonus point to finish second on the head-to-head rule with South Africa, who would then top that pool. If Ireland get a bonus point, though, and Scotland do not, Ireland will top the pool on the head-to-head rule after they bet South Africa. A Scotland bonus point win without Ireland getting anything from the game would see them qualify in second behind the Springboks. If Scotland win and both teams get a bonus point, then they'll join South Africa on 15 points, and then it will come down to points differential to determine who will advance from pool B. Scotland, they must win by 21 points or more to claim the top spot ahead of South Africa. Ireland would then qualify as as runners-up on the head-to-head rule, having beaten South Africa, like I mentioned. If Scotland do not win by such a margin, then South Africa will finish top on points difference in Scotland second by the head-to-head rule Ireland will guarantee top spot if they secure two points from their match though so it all sounds a little complicated but this is what you want to see as a fan heading into the final round of pool play in my opinion basically Ireland will be looking for at least a bonus point from this game in Scotland they'll be looking to win the game and deny their six nations rivals of anything in order to advance. In terms of recent history between these two sides, Ireland, they're actually on an eight-match winning streak against Scotland. Scotland actually last bet them in 2017, so it's been a while between drinks now. Ireland, of course, they're undefeated in this tournament, looking to be the form side of the competition. Scotland have dropped just the one game to South Africa, though, 18 points to three, and I thought that clash was a little closer than the scoreboard suggested as well. So one versus five in the world, it's set to be a beauty and a heck of a game for your Sunday morning. The last one of a triple header as well. So a true rugby fan's heaven. And there's no battle bigger in this match than the battle of the two tens. Johnny Sexton up against Finn Russell. Two very different footballers for each world class. In their own right, of course, Johnny Sexton, he might be 38 years old, but he's still the key to this Irish side. The Leinster and Ireland legend, he's been in fine form in this World Cup. He pulls the strings so well. He scored three tries and has 45 points to his name. Of course, he really misses off the tee. And that could well become a factor in this game. His game man- management and leadership skills are crucial to the way this Island team plays. He's also a more than willing tackler. He'll be tested in defence. I've no doubt the Scots will send plenty of traffic his way, but he won't be afraid to put his body on the line again on Saturday morning's game. Then Finn Russell, on the other hand, he's the key to Scotland's attack. If Ireland give Russell the time and space to operate, then they could be in serious trouble. He's a first five He's not afraid to chance his army. He has an elite skill set that allows Scotland to mix up their attack and throw some great variations and strike moves, especially offset piece. He's got a bit of that Carlos Spencer razzle about him. He looks like a guy who kind of just manages his way around the field. You can often see him walking out the back directing troops. But when he sees an opportunity, he's not afraid to roll the dice. And he's actually one of my favourite players to watch in world rugby. So I can't wait for this matchup. Whoever wins this battle head-to-head will go a long way to setting up their team to win. And in saying that, Finn also has the ability to play a slightly more conservative game. He knows that finals footy points are crucial. And here's what he had to say around practising the old art of the drop kick. They're
4: not a team that give up a lot of tries. Are you um, your drop
3: goals? Maybe throw that in the mix. <laughs> nah, I don't
4: think I've ever had a drop goal.
0: I've attempted a few
1: but never got it. So um, Hopefully it doesn't come down to that. But... I maybe I'm not. That's actually the first time I thought about it this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I've not thought about that. So um, I'll, I'll have a few this week. Probably I'll get a few tips off Ben. You know he's the man to to go to for that. So um, yeah, obviously eight points gonna be tough to beat. Ireland by eight points. Um, as you said they don't let out letting any soft tries and they're very disciplined. So to try and beat them by eight points, I think that'll be potentially down to our defence to hold them out as you know, as much as we can and take the chances that we get. Albeit there probably won't be many chances. Um, when we do get it, we'll, we need to
5: take that.
0: So there you have it, Finn Russell, talking about the importance of going up in potentially threes or fives. And while the Irish aren't locked into finals football, there's been a few clips going around from Irish TV reacting to that All Blacks win over the weekend and their potential matchup in the quarter-final. So here's some of that audio. It's a bit of a laugh, so make sure you tune in. They understand they're maybe fourth behind France and Ireland and South
2: Africa in the betting for this tournament. But they're still New Zealand.
1: They're still New Zealand. And if we cast our minds back only a few weeks ago,
0: you know, the, the live debate was, who do you want, France or New Zealand? Yeah. The
4: French, French match settled that, supposedly. It, supposedly. Uh, now, New Zealand were poor on that night. And listen, this was against uh, an atrocious... Italian side, really, really bad. But the,
0: the shape they played, the structure they played, the, the speed of intent was an awful lot better than, than what we saw in that opening round. And
1: I think there's a lot of eyes and minds across Ireland tonight. A little bit more worried than we were yesterday. Yeah,
2: Matt, we're sitting up a bit straighter, I think. Yeah, I, I think the, the, uh, because of the recent history between Ireland, New Zealand and Ireland, you know, after a century not being able to beat them and then playing so well and winning the series, I think everyone's got a little bit ahead of themselves. Mm. You know, there's nothing between the top four teams. Anyone, if you don't come out in the, on your best form, that you'll lose a game against them. And I think that just gave everyone, put, put it back into reality. New Zealand are never a bad side. There are better New Zealand sides than others. This isn't one of the greats, mm. but that doesn't make them poor. And I think that's just made everyone think, on the island side of the draw, there was never going to be an easy quarter-final. Yes. There, it's, there's no easy quarter-final, not on the other side of the draw. So you take on this New Zealand side, you're going to have to be at your best, as you always have been to beat New Zealand. Ian, we'll come to Italy in a moment. When we're trying to assess New Zealand tonight, to what extent do we discount a lot of the good stuff <coughs> that they did? Because Italy were so poor. Yeah, it's a fair point, Joe. Um, I think from New Zealand's point of view, it's probably the most intense performance they've had since their South Africa game in the Rugby Championship. Their breakdown worked. They obliterated Italy. They were ruthless in their uh, attacking threats. Their line-out worked well. Their maul. their scrum. Like, I mean, it was a complete performance. As Rob said, it was an atrocious performance from Italy. Uh, but that week that they've talked about in terms of being together in camp, intensifying training, I think you saw it mm. there. They had the bit between the teeth there and all this talk from everyone else outside, maybe their bubble saying they're not contenders, they'll use that as motivation. Mm. And yeah. Absolutely. Because France did a bit of a number on New Zealand at the breakdown. And I did think to myself, Joe Schmidt's involved. That breakdown's not going to stay poor for long. Again, Joe, I'm not discounting what you're saying. I'm just we, we don't want to get caught up on individual games. Mm. So, and that's what everyone's done. Oh, South Africa beat New Zealand. New Zealand are hopeless. So it's, but, it's, it's a longer trend than that. To be fair, well, well it a- is, 18 it, months. It is, but they also beat South South Africa very, very well with brilliant breakdown work. Mm. So, I, I think the point. I'm really trying to get across to everyone, in my opinion. Yeah. There's nothing between the top four teams. There is nothing between them. And it's what they do on that night. Mm. And what New Zealand did out there was they obliterated the set piece. And, and we saw that Wales do the same to Australia last Sunday. They obliterated their set. Once you obliterate someone's set piece like that, mm. then the breakdown, what's next? And Robbie uh, we will actually show it later on. There were some brilliant New Zealand tactics at the breakdown where Italy went wide and as soon as they went wide, New Zealand were just flooding that, that ruck and really being strong and hard with it. On the, to counter that, you know, it's, in a, 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 it's, it's back to the bad old days with Italy. They were just so bad, it's really hard for us to draw a conclusion to say, what would this team wearing black do against a team wearing green? It's, it's really hard for us to draw a, a, a strong conclusion and say, well, they, they, they've really got yeah. it there. What we can say is that New Zealand side really responded, you know, and that's all you can ask from a team after they get played forward to respond and it shows the men of character. That guy, Sam Whitelock, what a great player, what a mm. phenomenal player, broke the record tonight for the most number of caps for, for New Zealand rugby uh, and, and you could see they were playing for him, they were playing for a reason, playing for something bigger than themselves. So they're right in
0: this championship, okay. right in it. So an interesting listen there, and it's always good to hear an overseas perspective on the All Blacks and how they're going. You could almost hear that sense of confidence change to a little bit of nervousness from the Irish supporters there. But now it's just gone 6.30, so let's go to Johnny Mac for some news. And then after that, we'll be joined by Ross Carl from the Aotearoa Rugby Pod to cast the eye over this weekend's game. Welcome back to Rugby World Cup today here on SENZ. My name's Surly, over here from France, and we're joined now, though, by one of the greats, Ross Carl from the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Cheers for joining us tonight, mate. The final week of pool play brings with it some massive matchups. arguably none bigger than Scotland versus Ireland, a mouth-watering game. Is this the game of the weekend for you? Uh,
5: Yeah, maybe. Um, Look, I don't think it's... I think if the result is fairly clear that it's likely to be Ireland. So in a way, the game of the weekend is Japan-Argentina because mm. that could really go either way and that's going to have a really profound effect on who goes through from that side of the draw. So, but in saying that, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Scotland can do. Scotland's attack is really strong. They struggled to keep up for 80 minutes with the really top sides, but, you know, they, they could push Ireland, but they haven't beaten Ireland in the last eight attempts. So I don't think their last win was last 2017, I think it was. And only once have they been within seven points during that run. So, you know, the odds in history doesn't really stack up in their favour.
0: Yeah, fair call. And it sounds like you're pretty sold on Ireland. They've actually won 16 games on the trot. Like you mentioned, they're the form side of the competition. What has impressed you most about them so far this, this tournament?
5: I, I just think it's their ability to attack through multiple phases, through multiple strike plays to have options inside and out of Johnny Sexton to be really, really patient with building their attack and building their momentum. Obviously, they had some serious issues set piece peacetime against South Africa, and that's probably what cost them the game in the end. Um, you know, those line-outs on the African line really early on, and then, you know, at times their scrum wasn't that strong. I think Dan Sheehan's return at Hooker should probably shore that up a little bit, but, you know, that that wasn't very good. But they held on. They were gutsy. You know, they defended on their line. They got through a game against the Springbok side that really, really probably should have won it. And, you know, it's a a really, really good island team. It's a generational team. It's probably the best team they've ever had. And they are the best in the world. And everyone has to catch up to them, in my eyes.
0: Johnny Sexton, 38 years old, but he's still one of the best teams going around. And it seems no matter how much the game changes and the way teams like to play, he's always just has such a big impact on the outcome of a match. What do you make of Johnny Sexton, mate? Is he right up there with the best teams in the world at the moment?
5: Oh, I think he's up there with the best teams of all time, to be fair. like If you look at the way he marshals yeah. the team, the way he essentially a coach out on the field, he bided his time, didn't he? He had to wait behind Rodan O'Gara. He had to wait for a long, long time to get going. So, you know, he's really only been their first-choice guy for, you know, almost a decade. So 38 is a little bit, um, you know. It doesn't really show what's real there because in the 20s, he didn't play a huge amount of football for Ireland. You know, he had to wait. He had to wait on the bench. He had to wait a lot. And he's really shown what can happen if you spend time studying under good players, learning the game, and then applying it to your own game. And, and really being a smart footballer. You know, he's obviously not the most gifted runner. He's not necessarily the most instinctual player, but he's the smartest player out there. Like, he's learned how to break down opposition and defences. He's learned how to marshal his troops. And he's as smart as anyone has ever lived at doing those things that he does. And when you look at the players around him who know their roles, they're kind of crusader-like, aren't they? They know their roles. They play their roles. They understand how to stay within a system, and they consistently stay within the system, and therefore they consistently win. And Johnny Sexton is the quarterback, you know? And and along with Jamison Gibson-Park, who obviously is a huge player in that team, uh, Johnny Sexton really runs that show. You know, he's a fiery leader. He's competitive. He's got plenty to say. And he's the kind of guy that you would follow. And so for me, you know, he is the best in the world. He's the best team in the world. Any team in the world would be super lucky to have a guy like him orchestrating their play.
0: Yeah, that's a great call. And that Crusaders comparison was a good call there. too. I really rate that because no matter what unfolds in a game, they just seem to problem solve so easy. Another person that's really impressed me in the 12 jersey has been, of course, ex-Chiefs midfielder Bundy Aki. When you cast your eye back about 18 months ago, he was kind of fighting to make it into the 23. Now he's got to be one of the first names on the team sheet, doesn't he?
5: Yeah, he's looking sharp. His turn of pace when he took an outside break a couple of weeks ago, I was like, wow, I didn't realise he had that kind of gas. You know, he's obviously a strong player. He gets over the advantage line. He's a good defender. But I didn't realise that he had that turn of pace where he could bust a hole and go around the outside. Uh, he really is probably, arguably, the player of the tournament right now.
0: Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. And for a big body, he can certainly move, can he? Let's jump to that Argentina-Japan game now because you called it before the game of the weekend, in your opinion. What makes this game such an interesting matchup for you? Because they're quite contrasting in terms of their approach of the game. They both, unfortunately, lost some games they might have liked to win. How do you see this one playing out, makers? for me, it's a bit of a coin flip.
5: Yeah, I think it, is. it really is. And it probably comes down, like most of these games do, to discipline. You know, who's going to cop that card? And if you look back through time, Argentina is a team that, often suffers with its discipline when it gets it right it wins but they suffer through their discipline you know japan is an interesting one because i think before the tournament they were awful and everyone's written them off through the start of the tournament they haven't looked any good yet here they are you know and they are within a whisker of making the quarterfinals on nine points the same as argentina playing argentina whoever wrote the draw for this pool was spot on you know they Looking at those two teams and the fact that this is coming down to this game is quite spectacular. Japan showed that they can work from their set piece really well again on the weekend, especially their lineup. Uh Jimeno looks like he's in great form again. You know, cast your eyes back four years to the Home World Cup and he really broke out. Now he's shown why he's such a star at number eight. Yeah, you know, They've got a good team. Um, they haven't got it together for the best part of this year. But that doesn't really matter, does it? All that matters is that they take on Argentina, do the basics well, and win. I think if you were to go man for man, Argentina's probably a better team. But Argentina's also got a bunch of players who can make some big mistakes, and maybe Japan can get through it. I, I kind of feel like you should probably put your money on Argentina, but in saying that, I can easily see Japan going through
0: Both of these sides, for me, haven't quite lived up to the hype of their 2019 tournaments. I thought they were both playing some really good football then. And like you mentioned before, though, that they've kind of found ways to win, and now we're set for a huge game. Do you think the exit of the Higuardas and the Sunwolves from Super Rugby has hurt both of these national sides?
5: i don't know about the sunwolves because they were a weird organization that didn't really play the same way that the juarez did for argentina you know we had an entire squad of international players coming together learning to play with each other and in some ways when it came to the international season um the juarez kind of worked against themselves because the players had been so busy in that one squad and they'd almost they almost looked exhausted um but you know they were able to get some wins here and there against the All Blacks, you know, in Australia and New Zealand, and it really set them along the way that, you know, the Drua probably has for the Fijian side. But the Sun Wolves are a bit of a mishmash, weren't they? And you don't feel like Japan Rugby ever really got in behind the Sun It didn't seem to work. So I, I don't really think that Japan rugby's looking back at the Sun Wolves and worrying. Where Japan rugby's really done well is to look into the islands and say, hey, we've got some opportunities we can offer you and a lot of these uh, young Polynesian players are coming straight out of the islands, getting taken to schools in Japan, going through university in Japan, and basically being brought up through the Japanese system. So when you look at that side and you see all of those Japanese players who are of Pacific origin, you know, they all speak from Japanese. They all understand the culture. They've been bred through that system. And it's quite impressive the way that they've managed to dig into that and really succeed with those players. And then you add the South Africans, et cetera, and it really bolsters it out. But I think that's where Japan rugby has found its success in developing players, being a little bit different and thinking, how can we help these players with opportunity in their lives and how can we get them into our system. Yeah, that's a
0: great point. And then the third of your Sunday morning games, and this is an exciting one as well, and probably pre-tournament, I had this circled as a potential game where I thought Samoa could pull off the upset, but now looking at it, you'd probably have to back England. But what have you made of England so far? Because they seem to be playing a brand of football that's hardly going to win over the mutual fan, but at the same time, it's getting them wins which they weren't getting pre-tournament.
5: Yeah, I think they've had to be pragmatic, haven't they? They've had to look at what they had. Certainly early on when you know, they copped a, a red card in that game at the start and they had to say, OK, how are we going to win this? Well, 50-metre drop goals and certainly get it if you can't get into their half. I, I, I like the idea of, of the way England play. It's in their, you know, as Brent Hall would say, in their DNA. Really, when it comes down to it, their forwards know how to get the business done and set peacetime. They can be abrasive. They've got some good ball runners in the midfield. But when push comes to shove, it's about point scoring and creating pressure on the scoreboard. And if that's in, you know, groups of three then so be it. I think they've shown that they can add a little bit more to that. You know, Joe Marchant's obviously looked really good um, through this tournament and England had potential there. But I think when we get to the business end of this tournament, we're going to see them really knuckle down and look at what they're good at. And what they're good at is point scoring when it comes to kicking over their goals, kicking over drop kicks, getting within that area and putting the pressure on the opposition to go ahead and score some points as well. So look, I can't see Samoa coming near England this weekend. I think some, or to a degree, are the disappointment of the World Cup. They they promised a lot and they've really not delivered much. Tonga maybe to a lesser extent are in a similar boat where, you know, we expected a lot. They were in a really tough pool that they probably were never going to get out of. But I think we expected a little bit more from them. But what it goes to show is you need time together. You can't just bring a bunch of superstars in and in six months turn yourself into a world-beating team when all these other teams have spent all this time together through years and years and years we're going to have to allow Tonga, Samoa to catch up. And I don't think it's going to be easy for them to have a drawer style team um, with where their players are. But, you know, there's got to be some sort of site within whatever this global calendar will be to allow in these teams to get all of their players together and play consistently. So when they get to a World Cup, they're not learning each other. They're not learning systems. They're not developing. They're actually getting to the World Cup and peaking, you know, It's quite cruel in that way where, you know, this is the first time they've spent a lot of time together and they should be improving, but the other teams are already where they need to be and you only have to look at teams like Portugal and and Uruguay who, you know, are showing that they have potential, but they've also had the chance to play together for extended periods of time.
0: Yeah, completely agree, mate. You you raise some great points. And for me, Samoa, I have been a little disappointing. Before we let you go, mate, let's quickly get your predictions for those three Sunday morning games. Ireland versus Scotland. Sounds like you're rolling with Ireland pretty convincingly there.
5: Uh, yeah, I don't know how convincingly, but I expect them to win. Absolutely, I don't see them losing.
0: Yeah, Argent- Argentina, Japan?
5: Uh, I'm going to go Argentina, but I can see it going the other way.
0: Nice. And then England, Samoa, you think England remain undefeated? Absolutely. Right. Cheers for your time there, Ross, mate. Really appreciate you jumping on. And, of course, you can catch Ross with Parsons and Bryn Hall on that Aotearoa rugby pod. Really appreciate you taking your efforts on your Tuesday night, mate. Thanks for jumping on.
5: Mate, enjoy France.
0: Will do, will do. Right, time now to cut to some ads and when we come back we'll have the remaining schedule for this weekend's games and what times you can catch them of course live on SENZ. Oda, together we're shaping and building New Zealand. The eyes of the rugby world are on France. You're listening to Rugby World Cup today with Surly on SENZ. That's right. Welcome back to Rugby World Cup today on SENZ, brought to you by Kubota. Together we're shaping and building Australia and New Zealand. And throughout this show, we've been looking ahead to this weekend's games. There's some mouth-watering matchups with huge playoff ramifications. So time now... For a little look at the schedule, and of course, you can catch all of these games. You can tune in and listen to them on SENZ. Friday morning, 7.30am, New Zealand take on Uruguay, with Daniel McCarty and Christian Cullen, the dynamic duo, calling that one. Of course, the All Black side gets named tomorrow morning. Plenty of talk. It's going to be another strong 23 as we look to build momentum towards finals footy. So that should be a good listen. Sunday morning, 4.30am, England versus Samoa. Sammy Hewitt and Steve Devine are calling that one. Then following that, you've got 7.30 kickoff, Ireland versus Scotland. This game we've previewed so much today. I think Scotland are in with more than a chance than people are suggesting. So it should be a great listen. Again, Daniel McCarty and Christian Cullen for that one. And then Monday morning, 11.45, sorry, Monday night, Japan versus Argentina. We've got Sammy Hewitt and Steve Devine calling that one as well so a massive weekend with some great games lined up of course like I mentioned tomorrow morning that All Blacks team will be named so no doubt on tomorrow's show there will be plenty of chat around that and what is set to be our final remaining pool game perhaps the last tune-up before taking on an Ireland, a South Africa or maybe even a Scotland so I'll catch you back here tomorrow to talk all things around the All Blacks and the Rugby World Cup, with no doubt some breaking news from overnight. Looking forward to it. Shout out to Jacob for pushing the buttons and running the cutter back in the studio. Tomorrow, like I mentioned, will be my last show live from France. So, tune in, catch you then, go well, have a good one.